Joshua chapter 6. And I thank you for letting me come. Thank you for the nice room. Uh, Mrs. Brooks made all, gave me all kind of goodies. She and the preacher, and she made me walnut chocolate chip banana bread. Yeah, the only thing I did is I went to Timmins Market and bought some real butter to put on it. Uh, Mrs. Sullivan said, I haven't told you this yet. She said, I always mention it when I preached at Midwestern. When she was a student there three or four years ago. The RB stands for real butter. That's it. I'm a Bible preacher, and the Bible says butter and honey shall he eat. Talking about the Lord Jesus. You Christ-like folks each eat butter. The rest of you margarine eaters, you're in trouble. That's uh, good. And then I got to go to the Brooks. Uh, I'm sorry, went to the Brooks. Uh, yesterday went to the Brocks today for lunch and uh, had lasagna, garlic bread, good salad, and a great time with the kids. And the Bensons joined us. And I know they've only been in the church a short time. You need to get to know them. They have a tremendous testimony. And God's done a great work in their heart. They, they left a contemporary church because it wasn't giving them the word of God. And Ms. Benson talked about an intimate Baptist church they'd heard about in another area that was stopping having Sunday school. So people could spend more time with their families. Now, I'm sorry. That's stupid. You mean to tell me people are going to get up an hour earlier than they need to on Sunday and just sit around and have family time? They're not going to do that. They're going to sleep in. So how do you know? Because that's what I did during COVID when... When we didn't have Sunday school for a few weeks because we couldn't get them in together in the rooms, you know, that's, that's what I did. And, uh, no, and, and, and she said, what, why don't they get it? She said, what changed us was the Word of God. Amen. And why would they give people less of the Word of God? Yeah. You shouldn't have got me started. You're going to make the service longer. My friend, Dr. Wally Miller, pastors Fairfield Bible Baptist Church in Fairfield, Ohio. He's an engineer by trade became the youth pastor in a Southern Baptist church. Then he went full-time. Then he left and by conviction started an independent Baptist church. Great church. They were uh, six years in a union hall. Then they bought some property, and they have had to build five times in the last eight years. And Dr. Miller said, I could not support anybody who was starting a work that did not intend to have Sunday night church. He said, I think of all the sermons I heard on Sunday night, all the lessons I learned on Sunday night, all the decisions I made on Sunday night. He said, you mean to tell me I'd be better off if that had never happened? Yeah. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. It's all about convenience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And right. since you got me on this little riff, I'll just tell you, <laughs> I do not know what is so progressive about using a different Bible, right. social drinking, just having one service a week, we had churches like that when I was a kid. But back then, we didn't call them progressive. We called them Lutherans. <laughs> Same stuff. All right. Quit interrupting me, and let's get to the Word of God. Joshua chapter 6. Now, Joshua straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I... Read me the next two words have given. I love it when God speaks of a future event in the past tense. 
Did you know when God says he will do something, it is as certain as if it had already happened? You know, I have eternal life. Now, I'm still dwelling in my mortal body. But there was a day I knew I was a sinner. I knew the penalty for my sin was death in hell. I knew that God loved me and didn't want me to go to hell. He loved me so much he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, live a perfect life on this earth, go to the cross, shed his blood, die, rise from the grave to prove his power over sin. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I trusted Jesus as a young child. The Bible says, I'll never spend a moment in hell, not because I don't deserve it. I do deserve to go to hell, but because God loved me and I trusted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And the Bible says, he that hath the Son, it doesn't say shall have life, it says hath life. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is as certain that you will be in heaven one day as if you were already there. See, I have given Jericho and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. They couldn't go. They couldn't go. They couldn't go. Hey, it's not a very good trombone, but I got more than one note out of it. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpet, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people entered up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. We'll talk to you tonight about some lessons from Jericho. Lord, would you guide me by your spirit, please, to say just the things you want said, nothing more, nothing less. If there is a person that doesn't know they have everlasting life, would you help them to know that you love them so much that before they walk out of this building, they can know that all their sins have been forgiven. They never have to answer for a single bad thing they've ever done and the moment they stop breathing on this earth will be the first moment they spend in eternity with you. Help it to be so. Draw all of us to yourself. Bind the devil and keep he and those unclean spirits that do his bidding from taking away from our hearts any of the good seed of your perfect word. In Jesus' name we pray, thanking you for what you'll do. Amen. Now, here's one of our problems. We know or we think we know these stories so well, we really don't pay attention to what they say. I, we're not as bad as the new preacher I heard about went to a church and he was just trying to check things out. He went into the fifth grade boys Sunday school class one day. He said, hey, guys, who can tell me who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And one little boy said, not me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Another boy said, me neither, preacher. Another boy said, I didn't do it. Oh, he's disturbed. And he went to the teacher who'd not been in the classroom. And he said, hey, I asked your boys who knocked down the walls of Jericho. They all said they didn't do it. <laughs> teacher said, well, preacher, I know you're new here. But these are good boys. And if they said they didn't knock the walls down, I'd believe them. <laughs> really bothered now. He called the deacons together and said, hey, I, I asked the students uh, who knocked down the walls of Jericho. They said they didn't do it. I asked the teacher. He said, they're good boys and he'd believe them. And one of the deacons said, ah, preacher, look, we got plenty of money. Let's just pay to fix the walls. <laughs> We're not that bad. But think about it. In fact, let me illustrate it if I can. I want some young men who are, you'll have to be able to walk. If you can do that, that's it. Just, if you volunteer, you get extra credit. If not, I just start picking people. Okay, come on. Yes, sir. You do better than you did on the dessert, right? I'm, I'm messing. Okay, good, good. All right, all right. Good. All right, that's enough. You got it. Come on. No, you come on. All right. So these guys, you guys are the soldiers, and I am Joshua. Now, the whole army had to gather together. Yeah, come on, dude. God, God bless you, buddy. That's all right. And Joshua gets all the soldiers together. He says, hey, guys, you see those big old walls over there around the city of Jericho? See that? God is going to give us that city. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about them going Pentecostal. <laughs> And God has given me a plan. Those big old walls are so wide, two chariots can sit next to each other on top of the walls. People actually built houses inside the wall to the base. God's going to give us that. He's going to knock the walls down. He's giving me a plan for it. And here's the plan. Um, we're all going to march around the city today. All the whole army. And when you march, you um, can't talk. Can't say anything, can't let any word proceed out of your mouth, can't make any noise with your voice. None of that. that. Okay, so that's the plan. So let this section of chairs, you make the curtain as soon as you can, and go quickly, march, march around the city, march, march, march. Oh, no, I said march, move it, move it, move it, there you go. So what do you think those soldiers are thinking as they march around the walls of the city? I think the first day they're thinking, well, maybe this is a test. You know, Joshua's going to ask us our powers of observation. Who saw maybe where there's a weak spot on the wall or a guard wasn't paying attention or something like that. They come back. They go home. They come back the second day, and God says, hey, guys, see that big old city over there, Jericho? God's going to give us that city, and God's giving me a plan. And the plan for today that's going to make the walls fall eventually is, um, what, do you remember yesterday's plan? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of like yesterday's plan to, it, well, it's exactly like yesterday's plan. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> now what are they thinking? I think some of them are thinking, you know what? I think Joshua slept too long on one side of his head and his brains rolled out his ears. <laughs> I think they're thinking, this doesn't make any sense, but they go around and they come back. I imagine some little kid. Come on, soldiers. Hip, 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 hip. There you go. All right. We got a good one there. Yes, sir. Well done. Amen. Halt. Good. Uh, they go, and, and the third day, Joshua says, do, do it again. I imagine him going home at night. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And one of their, their boys says, Daddy, Daddy, did you go off to war today? Yes, son, I did. Daddy, what would you do? Well, son, there's some things young ears shouldn't hear. <laughs> Let me just say that I fully executed all my responsibilities. 
and they go back, and the fourth day he says, do the same thing again. Just keep going. Keep up with them. Come on. <laughs> I think their wives are saying, hey, why is the whole army marching around doing nothing every day? Why couldn't half you go one day and half go another day? There are things in this tent that have needed fixing for 40 years. <laughs> They go around the same thing on the fifth day. I think the people in Jericho are watching him by now. There comes the one with the big ears. <laughs> if I'm a, an inhabitant of Jericho and they knew that Israel was going to come after them, I think by now I'd be shooting arrows at them, dropping rocks on their head, pouring boiling oil down there. And they come back after five days and Joshua says, do it again. <laughs> and why can't they talk? You know, like a bunch of Christian school kids at bathroom break. <laughs> what would it hurt if they said, how's the wife? How's the kids? No, they couldn't do any of that. They come back after the sixth day and they come on the seventh day, hold it now. And Joshua says, hey, guys, I got really good news and bad news. The bad news is we're going around seven times today. But the good news, yeah, I can't, I can't hardly wait to tell you this. This is so exciting. At the end of the seventh time, when, when you hear the signal, the trumpet blow, you get to shout. Okay, they did a good job. Give them a hand. You can go back to your seats. God bless you guys. See where the Jones afterwards will give you each 20 bucks. Maybe. Well, whoever has the most money. That's the one I'm aware of. So, why? The liberals have an answer as to why they did that. They said the vibration of their feet marching in unison around the walls weakened the foundation so that the walls fell down. Liberals are stupid people. You say you mean theological liberals or political liberals? Yes. Right. You give me a good size army. We'll march around this building 13 times, and I promise you the walls will not fall down. And these walls are not so thick that two chariots can sit on the front and the top of them, and a house can be built inside of them. The walls of Jericho probably were, were rock at the bottom and then built up to clay and very tall and sloping. be really unusual for them to fall down flat. I heard about a liberal Sunday school teacher trying to disabuse her children of the notion that the children of Israel walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. She said, now, now, boys and girls, that wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. And it was just kind of a marshy area, maybe 18 inches of water, and it was dry that year. It had been kind of windy. That's where the business of the wind came in. And that's how they got across. The little boy said, wow, what a miracle. It was no miracle. When the Reed Sea, Red Sea was the Reed Sea, 18 inches of water. Yeah, what a miracle. No miracle. When the Red Sea was reached, the only thing is what he said, yeah, what a miracle. She said, what do you mean? He said, oh, Pharaoh's army's drowning in 18 inches of water. <laughs> what a miracle. <laughs> no, God could have knocked the walls down the first time they marched around. God could have knocked the walls down without them marching around. So why did he make him do that? Why did all the army have to go round and around and around and around and around and around and around? Give you some lessons from Jericho that this story teaches us, and God put it in the Bible for us. There's no accident that he included. The things written a time were written for our learning. 
I'm suspicious of any system of theology that restricts me to a narrow portion of the Word of God. It's all written for me. So, number one, the Christian life is a life of routine. You know what the Christian life is like? Marching round and round, and around, and around, and around, and around. I love meetings like this. This is a great meeting. This is a great church. The preacher said tomorrow, Sunday school will be normal. Be the first normal thing I've seen in this church. <laughs> you are abnormally faithful and abnormally responsive and abnormally happy compared to most churches. You know what I'd tell you to do if I were your pastor? I'd say take one Sunday vacation every year. You heard that number one? And go somewhere and try to find a church like this. Try to find one with good music and Bible preaching and happy people and lives being changed. I like meetings like this. I get to preach them all the time. But the Christian life isn't mostly jubilees. The economy of the Old Testament saint, the, the year of jubilee was once every 50 years. Uh, Christian life is not mostly church. I love church. I like being in church. I enjoy church. It's a good thing I'm there all the time. You forgive me for having fun in church, but if I don't have fun in church, I won't have any fun. <laughs> no, you know what the Christian life is? You get up in the morning. Read your Bible. Go to work. Be a good witness, good testimony. Do your job well. Go home. Eat supper. Play with the kids. Have family devotions. Go to bed. Get up in the morning. Read the Bible. Go to work, be a good testimony, come home, eat supper, have some time with the family, have family devotions, read your Bible at night if you didn't read it in the morning, go to bed, get <coughs> same old stuff. Preachers say to me, Brother, well, that our church is stuck. What do you think we should do? Now, there's some things you can do sometimes to help a particular situation, but let me tell you most of what you need to do. Just keep marching around. 44 years of the same church, we had times of amazing growth and times of modest growth, and we did the same thing all the time, but I found out if we just kept marching around, kept reading and preaching and trying to help people and knocking on doors and passing out tracts, just go round and round and round and round. Listen, your success or failure in the Christian life will not be determined by how loud you shout at a meeting like this, how excited you get when you go to some big rally somewhere of God's people. It'll be determined by how well you succeed in the routine things of the Christian life. Amen. Christian life's a root life of routine. The heights by great men sought and kept were not attained by sudden flight. But they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. Lesson number two. Christian life's a life of faith. I will say a little about this because I talked about it on Wednesday night. I told you faith is not the absence of doubt. It's trusting God a little more than you listen to your doubts. What would make you believe that marching around gigantic walls 13 times would make them fall down? God. What would make you believe that if you give away money, you'll end up more with more than if you keep it all. God. Doesn't say save and it shall be given. It says give and it shall be given. Hmm. 
What made you believe you can knock on the door of a perfect stranger and say to them something like this? Hey, I've never seen you. You've never seen me. But I want to tell you about somebody. I've never seen him. And he was, well, he was always alive, but then he became man. He was always God. And then he died, and now he's alive again. And if you trust him, you can go to heaven. That'll never work. No wonder people think friendship evangelism is the only way to go. You've got to take, you know, six months to persuade somebody by your personality what the Spirit of God couldn't do. Faith. I don't know what's going to happen when you build your building that you're going to have to have. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I promise you this. Somewhere along the line, you as an individual and you as a body of believers are going to have to go, <clears throat> okay, <laughs> all right. Not sure how that'll work out, but it's pretty clear God wants us to do it. Christian life's a life of faith. Number three, the Christian life is a life of obedience. 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 Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as those that must give an account that they do with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. I uh, actually think some things in the Bible don't make sense. I think the tithe is unreasonable. Now, I think it's a good starting point, but here's a guy who makes 20 grand a year, and here's a guy who makes 200 grand a year. And God says they both have to give a minimum of 10%. Anybody knows you can live better on 90% of 200,000 than you can on 90% of 20,000. I think I'd start the tithe if I'm in charge at 10%, and then I'd, I'd do it on a sliding scale. <laughs> now, the Bible does say you're to give as God has prospered you, but... Your tithe is the same for everybody, 10%. Doesn't make any sense. I think the Lutherans are on to something in the baptism deal. You know what we do? We make people come in, and shortly after they've gotten saved, we make them put a stupid robe on and go down to the river. <laughs> I've been in a lot of places, seen a lot of different baptistries. I haven't found this one yet. <laughs> That's it. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Love those little wing nuts on there. Then <laughs> a lady's got to get in there and get sopping wet. Her hair all comes down. Her mascara runs. We had people say, don't go to that church over there. When you visit, they make you get naked and jump in water in front of everybody. <laughs> now, we didn't do that, but that's what they said. Sprinkling makes a lot more sense. Why, you know, you could count the first three rows every time I preached. <laughs> Run your bus through the car wash, you know. God said, no, you got to be buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. I think the way we do church is pretty dumb. You know, we independent Baptists do, we get as many people as we can together on Sunday morning and tell them what's wrong with them. 
Then we get them back on Sunday night and really tell them what's wrong with them on Sunday night. Then we get them back on Wednesday night and tell them some more things that are wrong with them. Then we ask them to give us 10% of their gross income for the privilege of being fussed at three times a week. Maybe you ought to just have a little 10-minute devotional. Hmm. I think if a man keeps beating his wife, his wife ought to be able to, to divorce him. I have no respect for a man who beats his wife. No. They called me one morning. The guy had beaten his wife again. They said, Reverend, Peggy's asked you to come in. Peggy Knight, she's in heaven now, so I guess her husband's in. I'm not sure. He's dead anyway. And I went over there, and she's in the back of the squad car, house-dressed, torn, beat up, keeping herself modest. I said to the police officer, where is he now? Well, they said, he's at home. I said, may I have a few moments alone with him? They said, go ahead, Reverend. <laughs> I went over to the house. I called him every name I could think of that was not a cuss word. I didn't say any cuss words, but I'm afraid if you'd have written them on paper, I'd have signed them. I got in his face. I wanted him to hit me. Because I wanted an excuse to hit him. I probably was wrong, but I haven't been deeply convicted yet. <laughs> I think she ought to be relieved. Now, let me just say this. Uh, if your husband is putting you or your children in danger, you do not have a Bible right to divorce, but you do have a right to leave. I learned that when I studied the life of David, Saul was going to kill David. David stayed completely loyal to Saul, had two opportunities to take his life and did not do so, but he, he learned that Saul was going to kill him, so he ran away. Here's a Bible truth. If you know somebody is going to kill you, try not to be there when it happens. <laughs> Say, I love you. I am willing to work on this. I've got my problems too, but don't stay around and get beat up, but... I think I think you ought to say, hey, buddy, you're done. God says no. Huh. But I want to answer those questions. Do you know why everybody has to tithe? Do you know why we baptize by immersion in deep water? Do you know why uh, uh, we go to perfect strangers and give them the gospel as soon as we can, as much of the gospel as we can to everybody we can? Do you know why a wife has to stay with her husband or stay married to him even when he's a total jerk? Here is the answer. It is because God said so. Amen. Amen. I just don't understand all that. I don't either. See, we think if we don't understand it, we don't have to do it. No, that's wrong. The Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. I'd have written that verse backwards. But there's some things you'll never understand until you do them. Tithing will never make sense to you by reading it in a textbook. Faith, promise, missions won't make sense to you because you learned a lesson about it. It never makes sense until you practice it. Amen. Christian life's a life of obedience. Amen. Number whatever we are for, I guess. Christian life is a life of discipline. You uh, can't talk. Can't make any noise with your voice. Can't let any word proceed out of your mouth. Discipline. They were soldiers. You know, everybody loves discipleship. 
We have a ministry for addicts, housing ministry. I mentioned the other day, I can brag on it now. I'm not the pastor. Largest ministry of its kind in any independent Baptist church in the country. And people call it the discipleship program. We call it the bridge. That's the name we're using now, bridge uh, over the chasm of addiction, bridge from man to God. And his name is Jesus. And we tell people it's not a program, it's a person. And it's a personal relationship. Now, it's organized. We have a curriculum. We have things they have to do. But you can do all the things and not succeed, we tell them, unless you let the Lord work in your heart, develop a personal relationship with him. But people say, I want to get in the discipleship program. When they get in, they find out they can't have a phone for 30 days. Can't talk to anybody from their past for 30 days. Not family, not anybody. We find, they find out they have to get up at 6.15 every morning. They have to make their bed. they got a TV in there, and there's about two channels they can watch. They have to do chores around the house. They have a chapel twice a day. If they're not working, they have to go. They have to go to work, and we help them get jobs, and then they have to give us their paycheck. We put it in a bank and keep a track of it and give them Walmart gift cards for their necessities. You know what they say in essence after a while? They come in and they chafe at that and they get tired of it. They get tired of being told when to get up and when to go to bed and what to watch on television and what they got to do in their curriculum and what they got to do with their money. And they say in essence, I didn't come here for all this discipline. I came here for the discipleship program. (laughs) Discipline. Disciple. Any connection you imagine between those two words? A disciple is one who comes under the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should become a castaway. The Christian life is a life of discipline. I don't know what standards and guidelines the pastor has for you in various areas of ministry, but the truth of the matter is, He's probably wrong on some of them. I'm sure I was wrong on some of them I had. I did the best I knew. I had our guys keep their hair off the ear and off the collar and off their eyebrows. I might get them and find out it could have touched the ears. I asked our ladies to wear dresses that cover the kneecap when standing, bottom of the kneecap when standing, came to the top of the kneecap when sitting. I might get them and find out they should have been an inch longer or could have been a quarter inch shorter. I don't know. See, all standards are arbitrary. Standards exist to help obey a principle. Why do we have, why do we have traffic laws? What's the purpose? Safety. Safety, yeah. Well, I got an idea. Instead of all these dumb signs, let's just put a big sign that say, be safe. <laughs> you know why they don't do that? Because I think safe's 140. <laughs> you think safe's 65. Now I'm going 140, you're going 65, we got trouble. And by the way, why are all speed limits in multiples of five? You can't tell me that the scientifically safest speed isn't sometimes (laughs) 67.3. The Bible gives us principles, be modest, be a good testimony. Demonstrate distinction between the genders of which there are two. And and you know, you may not like them all. You may think the Sunday night service ought to start at 5.30 instead of 6. 
You may think that the choir uh, should sing a little different song, but if you're going to be a, a successful child of God and a profitable member of the Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, then you have to come under the discipline of God and his word and his leaders. Amen. Christian life's a life of discipline. Last lesson is this. The Christian life is a life of unity. Take all the men of war with you. Now, they missed that lesson right after this. Going to find a little town called Ai. Somebody said that to put the entire army of Israel against the little village of Ai would be like putting the entire military might of the United States against the island nation of Haiti. But when they lost, and they also lost because of Achan and his disobeying God's instruction, but, but when they lost, God said, go back and take all the men of war with you. There's a Bible principle. I wish I could word it better, but I call it the multiplication of power. One of you shall chase a thousand, two of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Well, I would have thought of one chase a thousand, two chase 2,000, three chase 3,000. God says, no, as you add workers, you multiply your effectiveness. They call that synergy. That was a buzzword about 20 years ago in the business community. Synergy is defined as what happens when the result of the combination is greater than the sum of the parts. Do you understand that? Would you explain it to me? They had two horses. One horse by itself could pull 8,000 pounds. The other horse by itself could put 9,000 pounds. They put them together in a harness, and you'd imagine together they would pull 17,000 pounds. They didn't. They pulled 33,000 pounds. The result of the combination, 33,000 pounds, was much greater than the sum of the parts, 17,000 pounds. That's why they put two horses together. Now, God knew that before science ever figured it out. And that's why in the book of Acts, we read again and again, they were all together in one accord. They're in one accord. They're all together. That's why God said, take all the men of war with you. Take them again when you go to the, the, the second time to fight the nation of Ai. The village of Ai. Christian life's a life of unity. Unity is not unanimity. You know, if you asked everybody their favorite truck, you'd get at least three different answers. At least you get Ford, Dodge, and Chevy. You might get some foreign trucks. Maybe you, maybe you like a Honda Ridgeline or you like one of the other foreign trucks. It wouldn't all be the same. It's all right that we have different opinions. It's okay. We've been to a lot of building programs at our church. About the, uh, oh, it was about the third one. We'd added on to the church on the two acres we had. We'd bought 20 acres around the corner and put a school on it. We're getting ready to build an auditorium over there. And uh, it was bad economy in Michigan. Our, we weren't even meeting budget. Our, our budget was, we weren't meeting what our budget was in our general fund offerings. I felt we ought to go ahead and build the building. And we had, for the first time in my ministry, we had four people vote against it. One couple voted against it because they thought we ought to borrow the money from the bank, not sell bonds. 
Now, I thought we ought to borrow the money from the bank, too, but the bank didn't think that. <laughs> the only way we could get it was to sell bonds. And uh, another couple said, Preacher, you already said we're under budget. Why don't we wait till spring and maybe things be better then? We can build the building then. And they weren't fussy about it. They didn't try to get others to go along with them. They voted no. That was their right. But when we went ahead with the building, the couple that said, we think you ought to borrow the money from the bank, we don't want to sell bonds, came out night after night and helped us sell bonds. And the couple that said, we think you ought to wait till spring, came out in the winter and helped us paint the building, and that is unity. Unity is, I had my vote, and now the decision has been made, and I, as a member of this church, want to do all that I can to help it be a success. Christian life's a life of unity. Supposing that 8,000-pound horse stays home. Now, instead of 33,000 pounds of output, the master only has 9,000 pounds. He's an 8,000-pound horse that stayed home, but he robbed the master of 24,000 pounds worth of work. Now, listen to me. Here's what that means. You say, well, I don't need to be a choir practice. I'll just get a little rest. It won't matter if I'm not there or not. I don't need to show up for my Sunday school class or the teacher's meeting. I don't need to be part of the soul-winning ministry. Somebody else can do that. Somebody else can give better to the building fund than I can. Now, listen, your little part may not seem by much by itself, but when you add it all together, God multiplies the power, and it makes a big difference whether you do your little part or not. Christian life's a life of unity. Somebody said it like this, for the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For the want of a horse, a general was lost. For the want of a general, a battle was lost. For the want of a battle, a war was lost. For the want of the war, a kingdom was lost. Oh, for the want of a nail. It may not seem big to you, but it may be really big in the overall plan and purpose of God. Yes, Father in heaven, would you guide me as I extend the invitation? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to hear tonight, and you say, Brother Willette, the Spirit of God spoke to me about that matter of routine. You want to fill Jerusalem with your doctrine, it's probably going to be some special things, but the main thing would be a routine. You just real regularly passing out tracts, talking to people about the Lord, inviting people to church. Your routine will determine the strength of the weakness of your Christian life. When he says, Brother God's spoken to me about that matter of routine. I, I need to do business with him on that matter. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. Thank you. I asked it the other night. Some might not have been here. I ask it again. How many say, Spirit of God's dealt with me about the matter of faith? Pray for me if you say that. Hold your hand up high. Thank you. And I wonder who says, God has spoken to me about the matter of obedience. Most of us don't have trouble knowing what God wants us to do. We just don't do it. I wonder who would say, yeah, pray for me. God's dealt with me about that matter of obedience. Include me in that prayer. God bless you. God bless you. And I wonder who says this, 
God's dealt with me about that matter of discipline. Coming under the discipline of the word of God. Pray with me about that. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. And I wonder who says this. God's spoken in my heart about that matter of unity. I don't want to be the 8,000-pound horse that stays home and robs the master of 24,000 pounds worth of work. Pray with me about that. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. And then I wonder this. I wonder if somebody's here tonight and you say, I don't really know I'd go to heaven if I died right now. You can know that. The Bible says, these things have written it that ye may know that you have eternal life. You can know before you walk out of the doors of this building that all your sins are forgiven, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that heaven is your home forever. Not because of this church, but because of the word of God. I wonder if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven. Now, I didn't call any attention to anybody who raised their hand a moment ago. I will not now call any more attention to you than I did to them then. But I'd like to include you in the prayer. And I wonder who would say, I don't know I'm going to heaven, but I wish I did know that. Pray for me when you pray for these other folks. If you say, would you hold your hand up high? Thank you. God bless you, friend. Who else? Not sure of heaven. I want to be sure. Please pray for me. Lord, I pray for each person whose hand was lifted. Pray for the one young friend that said he wasn't sure about his eternal destiny. If he's able to understand and isn't saved, I pray you'd save him tonight. And I pray you'd draw all of us to yourself. We'll thank you for what you do in this time of invitation. Thank you for many who have lifted hands. Help us all to be willing to bend a knee. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed. The music plays. The Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. Come out of the seat and find a place at the altar to do business with God.